companies are reporting their earnings, and although they haven't been bad, they haven't been great either. Is there a war on success? Big question there. Everybody wants to earn lots of money, but sometimes there's a fallout for the people who make it to the top. In fact, I'll show you how you're actually already in the market. First, a look at why. Sonny, there's only one word to describe what's happening, and that is panic. The S&P 500, having reached record highs last week, just couldn't keep the momentum going. We have a lot of money. And they still don't make enough money to survive. Promising that you can make lots of money. Are you suddenly all set for retirement? Minimum wage. Politics. Two and a half billion dollars. You work hard. Tax reform. Social security. Wall Street. Money. Labor. Tax plan. Job creation. Have you ever been in a situation where you wanted to change, but you just didn't know what to do? Good morning. I'm glad you're here. I want to shout out to all of our campuses that are uh, part of our services live right now, too. Um, tell you a story, kind of a neat thing that happened to us uh, five years ago, six years ago. We um, were invited to do a wedding, and that's not unusual, but this wedding was in Scotland. And what made it really cool is that they were paying the way for us to go to Scotland <laughs> to do the wedding. This is a side note uh, for me, not for you. If I ever go back to Scotland, I'm bringing my golf clubs. Can you believe I went all the way to Scotland and didn't bring golf clubs? Uh, we did go straight into Edinburgh. We had to land at Heathrow in London. And like any place internationally, you've got to have your passport to get in and out of a country. And somewhere between Denver and London, I lost my passport. And we queued up in the line, and it was a long line. And of course, uh, like we do here... They do in other countries. The people that were from the UK went to immigration for UK, and then everybody else lined up in this really long line. I thought I had it with me because I have a cover for my passport, and I had it in my back pocket. And as we got closer, I pulled it out, and I realized, man, my passport's missing. And, of course, the panic set in. Chris had hers. We keep getting closer and closer and closer, and I can just feel this pressure. What did I do with my passport? Did somebody steal it? Did I lose it? Is it on the airplane? Should I turn around and go back? Do I explain to the guy what do I do? We finally get up there. I make Chris go first because she had hers. They let her in. And I walk up to the guy, and I said, I know this is going to sound funny, but I don't know where my passport is. And this guy was not um, of the humorous American type. <laughs> with a very straight face, he told me, you need it to get into the country. And I said, what am I going to do if I can't find it? And he said, you will stay here at the airport, and if you cannot get it or get it from the consulate, you will end up on the next plane back to America. Well, then I tried to appeal to his sense of right and wrong, like, hey, man, I'm here to do a wedding. You've got to let me in. And he was not going to have any of it. Searched through all of my stuff, and at the last moment when the pressure was on, I found it. I had stuck it in a coat pocket. Let's give it to him. He lets me through, everything's good, pressure's off, we do the wedding, and all is fine. But it got me just thinking about the document of a passport and how when it comes to certain restrictions, you can either pass right through them or you're held up because you have it or you don't have it. And let me make a connection to you today with what we're talking about. It's Father's Day weekend. I'm going to talk about the blessing of a father, and it works much like a passport in that there are certain things and places in life where we get held up if we don't have it. But if you do have it, man, you pass right through unobstructed. It gives you permission to go places. It gives you ability to walk forward. It gives you the opportunity to enjoy things. And without it, so many times people are hindered. And I'm going to say this in a 
loving, right heart. I don't care if you're male or female, young or old, even if you think you're way past this, you were created in the image of God, and part of your DNA that God created is that the Father's blessing is crucial in your life. So maybe just real quickly, you're like me and you never got it. And maybe like me, it's too late for you to get it from your Father. Here's the good news. What you did not get by pedigree and DNA, you get supernaturally from a heavenly Father who loves you and blesses your life. Amen. So we're able to move forward and do the things that God, oh man, that He wants for us more than we even want with the Father's blessing. All right, let me jump in. I'm going to talk about the provision of a father. Maybe I should just explain this. Our series was called Making Change, and we were talking about finances. I'm not trying to raise money for anything. I'm not trying to, um, not taking an offering even after. But when I looked at Father's Day this weekend and what we were teaching, man, there was just such a conflict in my mind on do I keep going forward with this or do I acknowledge the fact that it's Father's Day. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'd much rather teach about fathers than I would about finances. It's just something that's deep in my heart. So I made a compromise. Here, here's, the, here's the name of the message, the provision of a father. How's that? So that covers the finance part, but then I get to talk about dads, which is what I really want to talk about. All right, let me give you a concept. Um, in the Bible, when you read it, you're not just reading stories. You're not just reading um, how-tos or um, a cultural event. Here, here's how we as believers should read the Bible. Everything that's in there is useful to us for how to live life, for how we should approach issues, for how we should work with people, for how we should love, for how we should forgive. And so the stories are there to provide a context to see how to do things. So let me, this, is, this is important. Whenever we read about Jesus, the reason that's in there, Jesus is God's heart revealed on the earth to us. So if you ever want to know how God feels about a subject, look at Jesus and how he interacted with people. That's how the Father feels. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, so we're going to look today at the relationship between the Father and the Son, but here's why it's important. It's in there not so that you go, wow, look what Jesus had. It's in there because you're supposed to see yourself and how God loves you. So, Do you get that? So it's not there to look and say, wow, Jesus really had a wonderful relationship with his father. It's there because it's God's revelation of how he feels about his children. So I want to give you a neat story about the son and the father. It's the first time that um, Jesus publicly is acknowledged by the father, at least that we know about. Maybe it happened at some other time in his life, but the Bible doesn't tell us anything about that. This is the first time that we know Jesus is acknowledged by the father who he is, that he's the son. And it just talks about this wonderful relationship. And again, the reason I want you to see this today, we're not to look at it and go, wow, Jesus was really fortunate. We're to look at it and go, that's how God feels about us. We're his kids and how he relates to us or wants to relate to us. So this comes from Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Let me give you the context. Jesus hasn't done anything public yet. No one's been raised from the dead. No blind eyes have been opened. No deaf ears have heard. No demons have been cast out. He's not changed water into wine. He's not walked on water. He's not taught one message. He's done nothing at this point that would signify his ministry. The reason that's important is I want you to see when he gets his father's blessing. It's not after he does something great. It's in 
place of before he does something great. Maybe there's a lesson there that sometimes with our kids, we're like, once you do something worth acknowledging, I'll give it to you. Maybe they can't do it until you give it to them. That's what we all lack. And so this great story happens. Jesus goes in obedience to be baptized. His cousin John is the one doing the baptism. Jesus, like everyone else, goes down into the River Jordan. He goes under the water, but then this really unique thing happens. When Jesus comes up, the Bible says that the heavens are opened and the audible voice of God speaks over the Son. And this is what it says. A voice from heaven said these three things. This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. And look at me one more time. Don't read this as a story that happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. Read it in the context. It's in there because God wants you to see how he feels about you. So let me talk real quickly about these three things that happened to Jesus. The first one is just simply the father says, this is my son, and that's just identity. You're not just any son. You're not just a son. You're not just a biological byproduct. You are my son. You belong to me. I willed you. I purposed you. I want you. Identity might be the most critical thing any individual can understand in their life. When you know who you are in God, you're powerful. Tell me that today in our society, the one thing that's really getting messed with is people's identities. (laughs) People are so confused on identity today. Who am I? How was I? Why was I? What's my purpose? Why am I here? And here's the most unique thing about identity. Understand this. You don't decide your identity. You discover your identity in God. You discover it. As you walk with him, he reveals it to you. And know this, man. You are not powerful just because you read the Bible or you go to church or you call in the name. You are powerful when you know who you are. Because when you know who you are, dude, you can walk through other barriers that people get stuck at. Amen. You move right on through things. Identity is crucial. And again, I want you to see this story through the lens of it's not the father and his son. It's the father and his children that he's talking to. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. You belong to me. You're not biological only. You are here because I willed you to be here. God, the most crucial thing a person can know is identity. Identity allows you in so many ways. Identity gives you permission to move forward in life. Identity allows you the security to be who you are when everybody else disagrees with it. Instead of having to fit in, You can rise above. It's identity, man. Identity. The second thing that the father says to the son is simply, this is my son whom I love. I love you. Let me say this. The word for I love you would simply be affection. You were minted in the image of God. So somewhere in your DNA, and again, I don't care if you're male, female, old, young, American, black, white, Chinese, If you live in the northern or the southern hemisphere, I don't care if you existed 2,000 years ago or you'll live 100 years from right now. Every one of us, because we are human and minted in the image of God, have this one great need inside of us. We have the need for affection. And the people who scream the most that I don't need it are the ones who really do. Know that. The ones who act the toughest, who seem the meanest, probably lack the most affection in life. Affection is so crucial. It is so necessary. And here, again, I want to point this out to you. Jesus receives this affection before he's done anything. God doesn't give it to him because of. He gives it to him because he just is. And he gives it to us because we just are. We're his. And the last thing that he has, so he's got identity, my son. He's got love, affection. The last thing that the father says is the blessing. 
you please me. Man, the blessing is so crucial in a person's life. It is so important. The blessing, again, it allows us just to simply move forward. Let me give away part of my message right here. It seems to me that as I teach this, a person could sit out there and filter it through their life and think to themselves, I didn't get that. I never received that. Uh, you're right, Pastor, it sounds so awesome, but how, how, how do you, if you don't have it, again, I'm going to say it one more time, what you don't get by pedigree on this earth, you get supernaturally in a relationship with God. Amen. This is the way that he feels about you. It's how he thinks about you. The Bible says, uh, literally, God, God's saying, I know the plans and the purposes that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, to bring you a hope and bring you a future. That's how God feels about you. Let me give you three things about this story that I think are cool. The first one I've talked about just a little bit. Jesus hasn't done anything when this is spoken over his life. What I mean by the anything, all of the public ministry that we know about Jesus, all the supernatural, all the great things that he did, all of the, all of the awesome miracles that we read about, he's done none of those things. So the father doesn't give him the blessing because he did things. He gave it to him before he did those things. Maybe that's the secret to life. Maybe what we're trying to do is to bless each other so that it makes the supernatural possible in life rather than waiting for someone to do something and then saying, well done. God, it's a powerful concept. John chapter 2 was Jesus' first miracle that we know about. It's the water into wine. You remember the story? Jesus goes to a wedding with his disciples. And while there, they run out of wine. And his mother turns to Jesus and says, son, they're out of wine. And Jesus literally says to his mother two things. Number one, why are you telling me I'm not the one getting married? Literally. And then he says to her this, it's not my time yet. In other words, I'm not supposed to be doing miracles yet. And his mother completely ignores him. Anybody else have that mom? Now here's what I think is so fascinating is that even when he makes the statement, it's not yet my time, his mother ignores him and then tells all the servants there, whatever he tells you to do, that's what you do. And Jesus somehow feels compelled to do what his mom said. Do you have that mom? My mother could make me do things nobody could make me do. Jesus turns to the servants and says, okay, fine. Bring me those great big stone pots and fill them with water. So the Bible tells us that each one is between 30 and 40 gallons, and it's 150 gallons total. That's a lot of wine. I don't care who you are. <laughs> a lot of wine. Good times tonight and this afternoon. It's Father's Day. Uh, <laughs> I got to stay away from you, man. You, All right. So they bring in the stone pots full of water. And the Bible says Jesus just blesses them and prays over them. And then the master of ceremonies, the one that's over the banquet, sort of the best man, he comes in to taste it before it's given to the guests. And then he makes this statement. Uh, most people serve a little bit of good wine in the beginning to whet a person's appetite. And then they bring out the cheap stuff to let people party. But you, man, you brought out the cheap stuff. And now you got this great stuff that everybody's going to enjoy for the rest of the banquet. I love that miracle. Let me just give you a thought here. The only time I even use John 2 anymore, I kind of have this deal between me and the Father. Anybody that makes it to 25 years in marriage, I think has accomplished a great thing. Yep. It's not common and ordinary. In fact, in our society, it's like making it 75 years. So I use John 2 to do a, a re for a 
couple that made it 25 years. So I had this neat thing happen to me a week and a half ago. A couple calls me up and says, Pastor, you married us 25 years ago, and it's our anniversary this month. Would you do the recommittal between the two of us? Would you do that for us? But they live in Lexington, Kentucky. And I said, I would love to, but I'm not planning on being in Lexington anytime soon. They said, no, if you'll do it, we'll fly to Denver for the day. I said, you bet I'll do it. What an honor. So they flew in, and we just went over to Flying Bee Ranch, for those who know where it's at, right in Highlands Ranch, and just walked up in there. And um, There were some pictures we took 25 years ago where we remodeled the same picture. I looked better 25 years later. <laughs> and they all looked older. It was the most amazing <laughs> thing. <laughs> that story in John 2 ends with the master of ceremonies saying to the couple, you've saved the best for last. And what I like to pronounce over people who do things for a long period of time is, look, you did all of this because God's going to give you the best for now. It's for last. You reap the best once you've raised your kids. You reap the most once you've done something for a long period of time. I think that's God's promise over our lives and one of the things that makes this story so unique. Man, once we just are in that place with him, God, he has things for us the whole time and it just gets better and better and better. Jesus hadn't done anything to deserve this blessing, but the father just loved him. And after Jesus was just a son, just a son for 30 years, the father's like, now the best is gonna come. The second part about this story that I think is really unique, and a lot of people miss this. This, folks, again, it's in the Bible. When you read the Bible, don't read it to read a story. Don't read it just, oh, that's so... Read it to see it's a model. And people miss things because they, they, they don't know how to... Through the right filter. So let me, let's, let me be a pastor for a second. Um, the writers of Scripture, you know, they didn't write it. This is chapter 2, verse 3. They wrote letters, and some of the letters were very long. Uh, later on, an editor took it and divided it up into chapters and verses so that when we stand up to teach, we could refer to where certain things are so people could find it. Because sometimes if you refer to, like, uh, the, the gospel of, of John, most of John was one long letter that was written. In the case of Jesus' baptism... People will read chapter 3 and just stop and say, okay, that's a neat story, but they miss the context. So let me give you the context. Jesus, in obedience, goes to be baptized. When he comes up out of the water, the heavens are open. Now, help me with this. The very first audible words that God speaks over Jesus is, this is my... So one more time, this is my... He identifies him. Here's your identity. You're my son. After he's baptized, this is what the Bible says. Most people stop because they think it's over, but it's a long letter that keeps going. The next thing that happens, it says this. Immediately after this, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So it's all part of one story. And the very first thing that the devil says to Jesus is this. If you are the so God says, you're my son, and the first thing the devil tries to steal from Jesus is his identity, yes or no? Yes. And look at me real quick. It is the main battle in your life as a believer. The enemy is not afraid of you going to church, but he is totally fearful if you ever figure out who you are in Christ. Because when you know who you are, you are so powerful. 
He cannot come in and possess you. He can't come in and take something away from you, but he can lie to you. And if you believe the lie, it's very powerful. How many people are deceived by a lie? And they live their life through the filter of a lie. I told this once before, but it's just so powerful. I am a, I don't know the right, I'm just, I'm a freak for nature videos. I've got a little hummingbird nest in one of my trees in the backyard, a little tiny, tiny nest. And I need to have my trees trimmed. They're so overgrown, but I don't want to disturb my hummingbird. So I'm waiting. And I can stand in my second story and look down and see this little nest and watch um, the, the mama hummingbird come in and go out. I'm waiting for to see the little. In fact, I think it's so small I can't see it right now. It's just such a tiny little hummingbird. And it's really cool. I was watching, I think, Animal Planet, one of those. And it talked about little baby Indian elephants. And it talked about how they use them as beasts of burden. And here's how they do it. When an elephant is little, they take it away from its mother to break its spirit. And then they teach it to do manual labor, and they use it for the rest of its life that way. Pull down trees and move big rocks, things like that. But something inside of the elephant, when it's little... Its DNA, there's a, there's a drive in it to get back to its mother. So they can't just take it away and put it next to a house. They have to chain it up. And the way that they do it is they take a collar that has spikes on the inside of it and they put it around the elephant's leg and then chain it to a peg and drive the peg in the ground. And the baby elephant pulls and pulls and it cuts into the flesh and it hurts the elephant. And here's what it teaches the elephant. The more it tries to pull away, the more it hurts. Okay, fast forward three, four years and this thing that weighed 400 pounds now weighs two tons. How do they control a beast that big and that powerful? That same chain. All the elephant needs to hear is the owner take a hammer and hit the stake once or twice, and the elephant believes because as a baby, as a child, it believed it couldn't do it or it was stuck, and as an adult now, it doesn't even try because a lie holds this huge beast in place. Silly elephant. A beast that can't reason. Now, let me be deadly serious with you. If you knew how many adults in this room were lied to by the enemy when they were young, told this is who you are, you'll never be able to do this, you'll never rise above this, you'll never overcome this, you're not better than this, God really doesn't have those things for you, or when you get to heaven, it'll finally happen for you. Adults are held in places by lies they were told when they were younger. And here's the problem. When a person's deceived, they're deceived in their intellect. So I could stand up here and tell you, but it's not enough to get you to see it. It's what you feel. Now here's what's cool. This is where truth rises above feelings. Here's the truth. You are everything that God says you are. You are a child. You are an heir. You are, you are a co-equal with Jesus, man. Because of what Jesus has done by the power of adoption, you are a son and you are a daughter and you are an overcomer. You're not below, you're above, you're not the last, you're first. Amen. Amen. You're not stuck, you're free. You're not lame, you're healed. 
You're not blind, man. You see. Come on. And this is where so many people emotionally locked into a lie. The devil, here's what Jesus said. The devil comes to do these three things, but he does it really well. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. If you find any of those three things in your life, it's not the proof that God doesn't love you. It's the proof you have an enemy. Jesus said right after that, John 10, that's what the thief does, but I came to bring you life and not just any life, the life that's worth having. So he acknowledges that the devil does this, but he supersedes it by saying, I came to set you free from all of that. So the good news here is this, that what you did not get by DNA or pedigree, you get supernaturally through a father who loves you. If you ever realized who you are and what God has for you, man, you can walk right through that roadblock in your life. I'll give you the third one real quick. i just point this out to you. Let me just talk about the priority of the provision or the blessing. When, when, is, when do you give the blessing? When's it important? Before anything else. Come, listen to this. See if you can get this. God is always the initiator of relationship. You never have to pursue God. God's always pursuing you. People will sometimes say this, I found God. When I was like 25, I found God. You, you were too dumb to find God. <laughs> Forgive me. I don't mean that mean. I'm just, I'm having fun. It's Father's Day. Give me a break. What I simply, you were too ignorant to know. God is always the initiator and the pursuer. You are just a responder to his goodness and his grace and his mercy. All God wants you to do is say yes. Amen. And you don't have to pray, ask, beg, fast, give. God's like right now, this to you. If you just say yes to him, the priority of the provision is it comes before everything. Let me tell you when I learned about the blessing. I was in Israel. It was 1994. It was my very first uh, trip over there. And it was Friday night, which is Shabbat, the Sabbath. And our guide was trying to get our group in the hotel so he could get back to his family. He's an older man, probably in his late 70s at that time. He's not, he's not even alive now. Uh, and I, I'm just like, man, why are you in such a rush? And he goes, it's the Sabbath. I got to get home. And I didn't, now I'm a pastor. I have a degree in Bible. I teach for a living, and this guy's telling me stuff I'd never heard before. And yet after I see it through the right lens, it's all through the Bible. And he says, I'm going home to be with my family. He said, all of Israel is about to shut down, pal, for the next 24 hours. You won't be able to go to stores. You're going to have to hang out with your wife. (laughs) I said, what do you do? He said, we eat together, and we talk, we play. He said, sometimes it's serious, and sometimes it's just fun. But he said, before it's all done, before they go back home... He said, I lay my hands on them and I just pronounce the blessing of the Father on their lives. And I said, what is that? He said, I just tell them who they are. I tell them what I see. The things that they may not see, but the things that I see and the things that I believe that they'll do. Wow. I had this great idea. When I go home, I'm going to do that. So I went home and the most Jewish thing I knew how to do was light a bunch of candles. I bought 30 candles. And in my dining room, I turned off the light and I lit all these candles. And I brought all of my children in, all five, and my wife, and I sat them down. I had my admin. Um, I just got before the Holy Spirit and I just said, help me write what you see. Give me a father's heart. Do you know that that's, God says, I'll take out that old, hard, stony heart and I'll put in you a soft, pliable one 
that can think like I think and see like I see and hear what I hear. How many would like that heart? Yeah, that's the heart I want. Do you know when I stand up here, the one prayer I never fail to pray every time I come up here is, God, let me do this through the Father's heart. Amen. If I have to say tough things or if I get to say fun things, let me do it through the Father's heart so people hear the Father. So I wrote all these really incredible word pictures and things that I saw, and they're not for public digestion. They're not for you. But I had my admin with a program, put it in calligraphy on parchment, and then we framed them. And then I put it right outside the doors of their bedrooms because Deuteronomy 4 says you're blessed when you come in and you're blessed when you go out. That's how God blesses us. And I wanted my children to know my blessing is always with them. It was super powerful. Teenage boys, though, are really weird about stuff like that. <laughs> and my boys were, like, embarrassed until one day their friends coming over stopped and read the blessing. And then this is what their friends said. Would your dad write that for me? All of a sudden, my boys, no, no, he, he just does that for us. He can't do that for... <laughs> now it means something. <laughs> Fast forward, they all grow up. Some of them get married and start their own families, but they all move on in their lives, the one thing that every one of them did when they went their own way, they took their blessing with them, and it's displayed in their houses right now, but then this is really cool. As they began to have children of their own, they got the vision, and for all nine of my grandchildren, in a delivery room, in a delivery room, when we could all go in, the very first thing that happened is that those parents would read the blessing over children who had no idea what they're hearing right now, but they're calling it out early. Here's what God did in this world. He spoke into the darkness and created the light. God, the power of the blessing to form things inside of you and to call things out of you that you don't even know are there. See, here's the problem. We don't see those things in us, but fathers see them in us. Fathers see them. You know, the most important job of a father is to remind a kid who they really are when they're not acting like it. That is a tough thing to do. You've got to separate the person from the behavior. Aren't you glad God does that with you? God, you're like, I can't do that for my kid. At least be grateful God does it for you. Be grateful he doesn't send the lightning bolt when your behavior doesn't line up. <laughs> How do you give what you don't have? So Robert sits on the front row. If he were to say, Pastor, I need to borrow some money, no matter how fond I am of him, and no matter how much I like him, if he's asking me to give him something that I do not possess, it's impossible. If I reach in my pocket and all I have is a handkerchief and a bottle of nitroglycerin, you have to go here to know why I have that in my pocket. If he asks me for something that I don't have, it doesn't matter how much I want. Maybe the height of ultimate frustration is to want to give someone something that you don't have to give them. Do you know what I'm saying? So you can hear this message through the filter of, wish I had it. I'm going to say it one more time. What you did not get by DNA, what your father was unable 
unwilling or unknowing, your heavenly Father stands today at the ready to pour out God's blessing on your life, man. Here's the great news. I never got it, but I've given it away hundreds of times. I've given it to my children over and over and over and changed destinies there. And I've given it to my grandchildren now. And the most amazing, miraculous thing is I was never given it, but I've given it away. Because what you don't get this way, you get this way. If you get who you are in Christ and what he feels and has for you. So let me just say this. So maybe like me, hear what I said. Maybe you're like me and these two things are true. You were unaware and the potential lied untapped. Do you know it's possible to love God, to give your life to God, be unaware of some of the promises that he has for you? So let me show you a cool scripture. This is the book of Acts. The apostle Paul is writing to a group of believers. This is important. They believe. They love God. They're believers. And here's what he says to them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they believed. Their answer to him was, nope. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So it is possible to love God but not be aware of some of the promises that God has for you. So perhaps you sit here this weekend and you're just like, I was unaware. I didn't know. Now you know. Maybe it just lies untapped in you. Let me give you it's one of my all-time favorite scriptures. When I forget who I am, I read this scripture to remind myself but as many as received him. Let me just ask, okay? I know I put people on the spot, but let me just ask, how many of you have received Christ? You're probably here on Father's Day because you have. So if you fall into this, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the, what's the word? One more time, the. That's not a masculine word, by the way. It's a word that means children. It's whole in its word, so it could easily be rendered this way. To those who believed, God gave the power to become the children of God. If you are a child, then you are an heir. And if you are an heir, then everything that God did for Jesus, he also promised to give you. Everything I'm saying right now is 100% true. It is not maybe. It is not if you act right. It is not if you change your ways, if you get your behavior down, if you go to church more, if you read your Bible, if you pray, if you give, if you act religious. My goodness, the devil has many ways to deceive people. Even religious ways. To them that believed, he gave the power to become the children of God. And if a child, then an heir with Christ. What you didn't get, By DNA, you get supernaturally when you trust in God. All right, I don't want this to be weird. I don't want it to be awkward. I thought long and hard before I decided to do it because I didn't want people who, like, are visiting to feel uncomfortable. Um, I just want to bless you. I want to put the blessing on your life. In the Old Testament... When the high priest would bless the people, he raised his right hand because the right hand represented God's right hand. The right hand, if you ever read about God's right hand, he never disciplines or takes anything away. The right hand is the hand of blessing. So the priest would stand up whenever he was done teaching and would raise his right hand and then pronounce the blessing. And the blessing was, um, the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord be kind to you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. That's the blessing. 
And every time they spoke, when they were done, God would tell them, no matter what you say, bless my people so they'll know they're blessed. And then the people who identified and wanted to be in on the blessing signified by raising their right hand. You'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> Here's one of the things I pray for you. You're really good looking, but may you get faster in your, in your timing. Jesus, folks, if you only knew, if you only knew the Father's heart for you, if mere words could somehow convey how God feels about you and what he thinks about you, what his plans and his purposes are for your life. The Bible says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard and it's never even entered into the imagination of a person what God has prepared for those who love him. On your best day, using your best imagination, you can't even come close to how God wants to bless you. And I just want to pronounce that blessing over your life right now. I want to pronounce over you life and peace and joy. I want to pronounce over you right now success. I want to pronounce over your life right now that spiritual battles no longer will conquer you, but you are an overcomer and are going to move right beyond what the devil has said and tried to do. I want to pronounce over you right now that what he's stolen, God wants you to recover. The lies that he has told you that seem so true right now, I want to pray that the Lord will open your eyes and that you will step out from them because you're able to do it. You don't need an incantation. You don't need someone to push you. You don't need some kind of a special meeting for it to happen. You just need to become aware of who you are and what God said and walk out of that cage, man. May the labels... The names, somebody else's wishes, anything that was not of God that simply has slowed you down or held you back, I pray is broken off of your life right now. And I attach to you the blessing and promises of God. Maybe you sit there and say, I feel nothing. This is where truth is better than feelings. Rise above your feelings right now. And place your faith in God. He loves you and he cares for you. And he blesses you. May he put inside of us a father's heart. We are blessed to be a blessing. Not just to consume, but to be a blessing. The best thing that could happen to you today is to believe that you're blessed and to act like it so that you could be a blessing to those around you. And I pronounce it over you now. In the only name under heaven by which it's even possible. If you know that name, say it with me right now. It's Jesus. Amen. And amen. Happy Father's Day.